0: So welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop place for all things to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. And if you thought it's all over, it isn't yet for Europe's big title races... With the Barcelona coach Ronald Koeman being sent to the headmaster's office after their last performance, the battle is now on between the two Madrid clubs as to who will be teacher's pet at the top of the league table. Some of it is O-Va-Va. Oh, va. Also, they're putting their heads to heads together to get to the top of Italy's Serie A. And what a difference that makes, a goal difference, if you see what I mean. And in Portugal, it's sporting fans who are singing Campeones, 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 Campeones. Even though Chelsea and Manchester City have not yet arrived in town to decide who will be this season's Champions League. Campeones, 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 Campion! Shall we start with the La Liga title race? What's going on there, Andy?
1: Loads. Like, so much since we last spoke. And, of course, we had that uh, super weekend where you had all the top four playing each other, Barcelona versus Atletico, uh, Real Madrid versus Sevilla, which, as we pointed out, would have been even better had Sevilla not lost to Athletic last Monday. But even then, it was terrific. Uh, One of the best 0-0 draws you'll see between... um, Barcelona and Atletico on the Saturday. But as we said, going back to to, to last week, if um, Barcelona took points off Atletico, they would open the way for Real Madrid because if Real Madrid won out from there and you know you, you can have your opinions on whether this Real Madrid are a great side or not, what they are is very good at grinding out the results. And they went into the Sunday night game with Sevilla who could like realistically, but not mathematically, they could still win the league, but realistically they couldn't. Um, and some suggested particularly in Catalonia that um Sevilla would be demotivated not at all they went for it um I took the lead twice Eden Hazard's inadvertent heel got a draw in the end which could still prove important uh, going forward um but of course it was the moment the most controversial moment of the La Liga season and the first time in La Liga since they've had VAR that you've had um one incident leading to a subsequent incident where there's a penalty, that penalty being overturned and a penalty being given for the previous action. And I know people talk about crowd pressure when a referee's dealing with uh, VAR but and having a look at the screen at the side of the pitch. But I think the pressure was even greater at an empty Valdebebas as the referee went over, looked at an action that he knew could have a huge um, influence on deciding the season and did rather than giving the penalty for the foul by Bono on Karim Benzema went back and gave it for a handball by Edin Militao, gave the penalty to Sevilla scored by Ivan Rakitic of course former Barcelona player as well as Sevilla legend and even Zinedine Zidane complained about it afterwards and looked angry And he's not a man who ever looks... Well, he doesn't show any sort of emotion. You get the odd smile out of him, but that's, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, he's pretty much Mount Rushmore. I think the pressure in an empty stadium, when you can hear all the players chipping off at you, and let's face it, most of those players all over Europe don't stop talking, all the coaching staff... Sergio Ramos from the stand, of course. So you can always (laughs) hear. And it looks like his main influence will be from the stand. There's doubts this morning whether he'll even be fit enough for the Euros, which of course could have implications for Spain too. And I think puts an even um, bigger spin on Americ Laporte uh, declaring for for Spain and being likely to pick for the Euros of of, of Manchester City. Um, I do think the referee made the right decision and he did really well to make the right decision with all those guys breathing down his neck but you know the amount of editorials we've had in like Marca and other other papers and TV programs about how Real Madrid have been stitched up by VAR in comparison to Atletico and Barcelona I mean you know we've seen a lack of self-awareness in some of these um post Super League takes um from 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 some of these regions but still I mean, I think I think Real Madrid have got a bit of a cheek or the, the media around Real Madrid have, have got a bit of a cheek. But what that has all led to is Barcelona shelling a two-goal lead at Levante this week and Atletico taking advantage by beating Real Sociedad 2-1 last night. And Lars, you were really impressed by the intensity with which they attacked that game.
2: Well, I was because I think we are at a stage of a season that's been like no other, uh, where there's been less time to rest. And I think that's something that we overlook a little bit, is that the, the, the football calendar was already kind of maxed out in terms of how much football these guys can play uh, with the amount of recuperation that they just, you know, biologically need uh, to be at their best. And this season, it's, it's been more than that. I mean, we have seeing what's happening with Man United in this country is ridiculous. What they have to do, and it's been similar in, in other countries. We're trying to squeeze in the same number of games as usual, and we've taken out some like two or three weeks of the seasons, so and that's that's all rest days that have gone. And I think what we're seeing, we're seeing some tired legs. We're seeing some 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 teams where a lot of players are ninety percent instead of hundred percent, and uh, right across Europe, and that is to be expected. But in the with all that as a backdrop, I was really impressed by the way Atleti just went out against a very good Real Sociedad team and looked so determined, so direct, uh, not hesitant at all, which is what Atleti can look sometimes in these games. You always get the sense with them, as much as they've evolved a little bit this season under Simeone, their team who are who are happier sometimes playing on the back foot. I mean that, that that is still a thing. Uh but they absolutely weren't doing that in this game. They they really went for it. Uh, that's not to, not to say they they dominated. Of course, they didn't. Uh, Real Sociedad had more possession, but I thought there was a certain determination in the way they went about things that was that was impressive at this stage of the season. And with Suarez, you know, he didn't score here, um, but you know, I like my numbers. I like things you can quantify because if not, we're just kind of blowing opinions into the air. But there's something about Suarez's presence in this team. Can you put a number on menace? Like his expected menace? <laughs> like you know the, the, what? I
1: think that's right. Menace is
2: just the is the word.
1: At the moment, he looks super rusty. In XM. Front, in, in front of Cole. <laughs> XM. Yeah, the expected yeah, yeah, menace. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yours. You're having that.
2: But he, uh, yeah, he's only scored like once in the last eight or whatever it is. But you can see the Real Sociedad defenders are worried when he gets the ball. Like He always looks dangerous still yeah, and and, and causes chaos. He's
1: not super sharp in front of goal at the moment, but the assist for what turned out to be the winning goal by Ángel Correa Mm. is brilliant because he's not the biggest guy, but he's got two, three defenders around him and he just muscles his way past them, finds exactly the right point for the finish. The finish is really smooth by Correa, which we don't always expect from him because he's... You know he's kind of a box of frogs. There's a lot of magic in there, but you know, you never really quite know what to expect. Um, but he finished it really smoothly. And, you know, Suarez his role in creating that was fantastic. The other interesting thing about Atletico, and it's been pointed out quite a lot in in, in Spain in the time since the game finished, is that we're expecting um a Belgian to win the league for a Madrid club. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it's a different Belgian and a different a different Madrid club. Yannick Carrasco was brilliant again and Lars flagged ages ago why doesn't Simeone like have the guts to play him at wing back? Well, I think it's it's part of a relationship of because he's done that for the Belgian national yeah, team yeah, yeah. and it's part of a relationship of trust because he's a different player to the one who went to China. It feels like he's seizing a second chance, having looked like he was going to be stuck in China at an age where he shouldn't really have been stuck in in, in, in China. He's, he's just learned so much, it seems. There's there's an appetite, there's a hunger, there's more of a discipline without losing any of the flair that makes him so special and made him so special in the, in, in the first place. But what it gives is, Atletico, a really sort of incredible degree of flexibility in um, in tandem with uh, Mario Almos, the the left-sided centre-back, who becomes, sometimes he's the left-sided centre-back when they're on the attack and they've basically got three at the back and Trippier and Carrasco are the are the wing-backs. And then when they're defending, it goes into more of a 4-4-2 and Omosu becomes the, the left-back. So it's partly due to his flexibility as well. But this ability to shape shift is not something that we've really seen from previous Atletico. So it's a subtle change, but it's quite an important change. But going back to what Lars was saying about the intensity at the beginning, that's something that they've they've done. It's been their biggest strength and their biggest weakness really in this calendar year because Simeone always said it's not always going to be possible to it's not going to be possible to get the same amount of points in the second half of the season as it is in the first and he looked quite weary and worn out as you would be if you did that much running during a football match that you're not playing in <laughs> when he talked about it afterwards and he he said he he kind of um corrected himself he went uh la temporada fue durísima. Uh, the season was super hard and then he went It's durissima. It's still going on.
0: (laughs) And, you know, it's it's like, oh, God, I need a rest now. Oh, no, it's not over. We've still got two games to play. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? There are so many twists in this um, league or in this uh, final stages of this league that it keeps us all interested. I mean, other leagues, as we know, have been uh, done and dusted. But here, not only is it like uh, Chubby Checker twisting again, but there's one more final twist. Uh, to this, which is the two Madrid's, isn't it? Um, and it's it's a clash not just of clubs, of styles of playing, of approaches, philosophies to the game. And it's anybody's guess, I would have thought, which one of those two clubs is uh, Atletico might have the advantage, but they're not home and dusted yet, are they? No, they're not. And um,
1: Real Madrid, at the time of recording, go to Granada tonight. Granada are one of the better coach teams in the division under Diego Martinez, um, who's a terrific young coach, who I think will go a really long way. And you can say they have nothing to play for. Athletic have had nothing to play for, and they've spoiled it for... um, Atletico and Sevilla in, in in recent weeks. Granada will really enjoy this this role of of, of kingmakers. I think. Um, to to go back to what we were saying about Atletico, it is it, it's, it's really interesting how they 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 started with that sort of intensity and ended up knackered. at the end. It's a bit like watching England at an international tournament. <laughs> that. Don't they say that. like they like spend all their brilliant ideas mm. in the first sixty five minutes and then end up. What next? And kind of hanging on, which is part of the evolution because they are an evolving team. And I think whatever happens next, and we talked about the differing styles, you talked about the differing styles of Atletico and Real Madrid. When it's Real Madrid under Zidane, really the basis of how games should be approached is not that different. It's an idea of let's keep it tight and sprinkle the magic on top, which... (laughs) You know, which, which is interesting. But the thing is that Atletico Madrid have had this, whatever happens this season, I do think from here they will go on and win the league, even though there could be twists. The, the, the fact is that they are further along in their evolution than Real Madrid. Barcelona are further along, not as far along in their evolution as Atletico may be, but further along than we thought they might be. Even though Ronald Koeman, having been... Called cool to see Joan Laporta after they balls it up against Levante and, like, you know, Atletico balls it up against Levante twice. It can happen. But, you know, they've taken points off all the big three. But I think out of these big three, I don't know what you think, Lars. I think in terms of rebuilding, Real Madrid are behind the eight ball.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what I mean, we've mentioned it before on this podcast. There is a generational shift. That that has to come at some point with this Real Madrid team. Like you cannot. I mean, I know Zidane has his guys, and it might be enough in the end in this league to, for them to win it. They could, mm. but he can't keep going back to to Kroos and Modric and Benzema and, and Ramos. I mean, there is a time limit for how long you can keep doing that, and and in, there is a generational change, a uh, 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 handing on of the baton that that has to happen there. And I was going to mention. Like with Atleti, for instance, how good Marcos Llorente was in that game. I mean, we speak about how this team is evolving, but they're also trying to retain some of the sort of combative qualities of a Diego Simeone team. Marcos Llorente would fit perfectly into the early Diego Simeone, Atleti, of Madrid, next to yeah. sort of Juan Fran and then the lads. You know, that that would be fine. Whereas, so, so you can see there's a continuation of the qualities that the, that this team has been built on with a bit of extra sort of magic coming in. Now, with Real Madrid, they have... They have guys who look like they could feasibly be good enough to, to carry a future Real Madrid team. In my opinion, Valverde is a very good player. Uh, yeah. Vinicius is frustrating, but I think he could put it together at some point. You know, and Martin Odegaard still, I think, has it in him to be good enough to be a, a proper number 10 at a top club. Do
1: you think they bring him back?
2: I wonder, uh, because it depends a little bit on on Zidane, I suppose. Yeah. Um, they're in a slightly odd position, Real Madrid, with Odegaard, because... It's clear that the squad is too old. It's clear that they need to get younger. Uh, it's clear that they have in a, a young guy who is talented enough to be a playmaker for a top European team. So selling him doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, Zinedine Zidane clearly doesn't trust them. Mm. And and bringing him back when the coach doesn't trust them isn't very good either. So I think there's a sort of club versus coach uh, but, dynamic but, but going on But with
0: regards there. to what Andy was saying about the evolution, if, if Real Madrid at this point are behind the curve and... Uh, Atletico are on points, as it were. What difference does that make for the outcome of this season?
2: Well, well, for this season, in the short term, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference because these are, these are sort of big picture macro ideas. Whereas this league comes down to the next two games, yeah. and it comes down to whether Atletico Madrid can win their next two games or not. Because if they do, nothing else matters, right? Yeah. So that's not a huge. But I think looking looking forward, I think it's very relevant because at some point. This team has to develop. Yeah, you can't just every time things. I mean, and he was trying earlier in the season, Zidane mixing it up a bit more with the lineups, but then I don't you think go, But you go back to the old dudes. I
1: don't think he's the guy to do this. Uh, no,
2: no, I don't think so either.
1: No, I think he's quite interesting, bearing in mind that he's been increasingly linked to the Juventus job going forward, and clearly there's the there's the link there. It's, it's very difficult. <laughs> It's difficult to imagine Zidane at a lot of clubs. You can imagine him at Juventus, especially seeing as his credo, his approach is very Juventus informed. It's like, you know, win first style later. But then you bear in mind that they'll probably do a bit of a rebuild. Ronaldo, Ronaldo.
0: Well, we learned to move on with or without the help of the Reverend Al Green there. Uh, But there is a link between uh, what's going on in La Liga, particularly with Real Madrid and what's going on in Italy uh, with regards to Juventus. You mentioned uh, a moment or two ago, Andy, that that, uh, Zinedine Zidane might end up Juventus. So at least that's one of the possible um, clubs that he might be able to move on to. And you could argue this would be perhaps an opportune time for Juventus to have a conversation with him. Yes, because they did win uh, 3-1 at a very informed
1: Sassuolo on, on Wednesday, which kept them in the mix for a Champions League spot. But the reality is, a couple of games from the end of the season, they're not in the top four, mm. which is, you know, we're not talking about them losing the title to uh, this season, far superior Inter. Um we're talking about them not getting into the top four and it's typical really every ever since like Andrea Agnelli's talked about this super league idea more and more in the open air. He said, well, Team like Atalanta, they shouldn't be in it on the back of having one good season. They go and lose to Atalanta. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, we You saw we're, that coming, though, didn't you? We're too
1: good for the Champions League. <laughs> well, that's funny because you, you might end up not being in it next season. It's remarkable what's happening. And so, what happened for them at Sassuolo? I mean, you know, Lars was talking about possession b- before. Um, Sassuolo had most of the ball for most of the game, and you know they're they're a terrific side looking to um, finish nicely under Roberto De Serbi, their, their coach, a very good coach. Before he goes off, probably to to, to Shakhtar Donetsk um, at, at the end of his deal at the end of the season. Um, but it's remarkable when um, Lars was talking about the, the the old boys coming through for the the the, the grandees of Europe. Gianluigi Buffon, who announced this week that he's leaving Juventus. Now, I don't think I'm alone. I suspect a lot of our listeners will hope that he'll squeeze out one final season at Parma to help them come back from from Serie B, come straight back up next season. But at 43 years old, he saves a penalty from Domenico Berardi in this, which after a really sloppy start from Juventus, really saves them. And then um, two excellent goals from Adrian Rabiot, and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo his 100th for, for the club. And Paolo Dybala later got a great goal, which was his 100th for the club. Um, it took them into the break 2-0 up. They eventually win 3-1. But at half time, if you're De Serbi and Sassuolo, you're thinking, how the hell are we even losing this? Mm. Let alone 2-0. And there's just that feeling of what happened at the weekend when they lost 3-0 at home to Milan to a young Milan, yeah, despite Zlatan Ibrahimović, who look as if they've got a future, as if they've got a plan, with far less resources than Juventus, by the way, and a far less lauded coach, even though Stefano Pioli is obviously far more experienced than Andrea Pirlo. Um, There's just this sense that change is inevitable now whatever happens, and yeah, they might s- still sneak the top four. It is, it's really hard to I, I leave him with this project. I, I don't think he's really got the experience to affect the, the change that they need. Now, the big problem—he realizes
0: that as well, doesn't he? he yeah,
1: he, he gives off yeah, the demeanour
0: of like, well, this is beyond me.
1: He does, and I, I think if you're talking in terms of the practicalities of them actually um, qualifying for the top four, there there are two big problems for them, really. One, that they're currently fifth. And two, that they have a worse head-to-head record because it's on head-to-head rather than goal difference that separates you when you're on equal points. They've got got the worst of the head-to-head record against all the three teams above them. Atalanta, Milan, Napoli. And Napoli, who are, like, it looks like going to split from... Uh, Rino Gattuso at the end of the season, he sailed them through some extremely choppy waters and looks like he's going to be getting them into the Champions League. Atalanta, we know. Milan, I think, it seems a bit trite to say deserve, but I think having been on top of the league for so long, having overachieved for so long, um, having entertained us for so long, I think it would be a real shame if they didn't make the the, the, the Champions League. And there are so many implications, Lars, not least financially, if Juventus don't make it into the top four.
2: There are, and I, I can't get over how, how badly Juventus have messed this up. Not just this season, but really I'd say the last two seasons, because this is a club who had such an extraordinarily dominant position in their country... Uh, and still have i mean if you look at the finances their wage bill for a while their wage bill was like higher than the next two or three teams in the league put together now there has been some investment in particular into milan which means that's not quite the case anymore but they do spend a spectacular amount of money compared to their competition and 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 the reason they've lost this sort of chokehold on the league is it entirely unforced errors that they've committed? Like towards the end of Massimiliano Allegri's time at the club, he was starting to get a little bit, like, because they were winning every season, but the football wasn't always great. So they were starting to get questions. Yeah, okay, maybe about the style of play, and and, and, and Juventus. Um, Andre Agnelli has sort of spoken about how Juventus are want to be more than just a football club. They're, they also want to be this sort of lifestyle and entertainment brand, you know, they're, they're, which is okay. Like they're doing, do. uh,
1: doing a good job of making them likable. Yeah, well,
2: exactly right. I mean, it's uh, And uh, so they move on from Allegri and they sign Maurizio Sarri because, of course, you know, Napoli played tremendous football under Sarri but that was always a slightly sort of bonkers thing. culturally sorry is not a good fit for Juventus you know why not because sort of, he's a sort of slightly r- roughly hewn sort of chain smoking sort of kind of guy whereas Juventus are all uh, f- fancy guys in shiny suits you know he's got, <laughs> he's, he is an outsider Maurizio Sarri and at Napoli he reveled in that role you know he was the coach who, who gave the cameras the finger as they arrived at, at Juventus <laughs> to play them you know? he, he's that kind of guy and, and he's obviously culturally a v- deeply odd Fit for Juventus, and when Juventus have just brought in Cristiano Ronaldo, footballing wise, a terrible fit as well, because he's you know front foot, press high, which you can't really do with Cristiano Ronaldo. So even though they win the title, it was a very uneasy marriage and one that you know they probably didn't do that. It was probably not the wrong thing to, to break it up, but they then move on to hand it to Pirlo, who's never been a coach before. It's a bizarre decision. I mean, it, it's it's but an inter- a it is an entertaining. Li- was about, I mean, it? making mm-hmm. these sort of bizarro footballing decisions is an entertaining lifestyle. So so I guess if you get the sort of lifestyle <laughs> entertainment brand, thing, you've caused a lot of drama for your Amazon documentary there. So well done you, but but you you are in this an extraordinary position where. I mean, even if we take... Pir- oh, yeah, let's take Pirlo seriously. Look at his sort of coaching dissertation at Coriziano. He writes about, again, wanting to press high. He writes about, like, admiring the football of Guardiola and Johan Cruyff and, and the team being part of the whole... But but this isn't what this Juventus team is. This is the Juventus team of Cristiano Ronaldo. They, they're spending so much money to have Ronaldo there that, that everything's going to have to go through him. That's the only way you can do it. And you can't... Just, so even if... Pierlo, is it, he might be a really good coach, but his way of doing things, the way he wants to do it, isn't possible to do at Juventus.
1: And he's kind of been underlined, to your point, by the best bits of Juventus' season. Because the best bits of Juventus' season, even though Cristiano Ronaldo scored all these goals and has done a terrific job, and it's hard to find fault with what he personally has done on the pitch their best bits this season have been when you've had the real click between Chiesa and Morata. Mm. You go back to when they win at San Siro. And that's incidentally why that Ficayo Tomori goal, the third goal for Milan um, in that 3-0 on Sunday night is important because with Juventus having won 3-1 at San Siro Mm. um, in January... um, Tamori's goal was the one that gave him the head-to-head advantage. So it could be an absolutely crucial goal, even though it seemed like window dressing on, on, on top of that. But, you know, what happens with this, you kind of feel that even if Pirlo was there, which I think is incredibly unlikely now, if, for him to get to that point where, as Lars says, he can affect his ideas more, Where do you park Cristiano Ronaldo for next season with a year left on his contract? That's very difficult. I mean, there's been increased speculation in Portugal that what he'll do is ride out the final year of his contract and then maybe go for a final valedictory lap at, at, at sporting, which I think is quite an interesting idea, or at least that that would be his final lap in the European game. And it's quite interesting. If you, um, of course, it's the, the club that where he came up through the academy. There's been a lot on social media recently of his mum at home, in a sporting shirt, going, we're rooting for you to win the league. Come on, lads. And it's like, okay. If he Don- listens to his mum. He's it, done that before. Exactly. If Donna Dolores has got has got the shirt on, now now we're talking.
2: Oh, my Yeah, no. F- financially, it would be amazing if they managed to get rid of him. I mean, they're paying him, what, something like 30 million euros net. So that's... Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a spectacular amount of money. He'll,
0: he'll take the pay cut for his mum, won't he?
2: Well, that would be amazing. That would be great to see. But but again, it just hammers home. They've, they've they've made such a mess of this in the last couple of years by completely unforced errors. And instead of just understanding their sporting, they've been so caught up with becoming a, 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 a an entertainment and lifestyle brand that they seem to have completely taken their eye off the ball in terms of what the team needs to do to win on the field. Uh, which, which has to come first. It always has to come first. And it becomes... E- especially ridiculous when Juventus when Mr Agnelli from Juventus and and someone like Pep Marotta at Inter talks about how well, we need the Super League because we can't make the sums add up. You know, we're, we're losing money. You know, this model is broken. And I was like, man, have you tried spending less than you earn? Like, <laughs> honestly. Like, Mar- Marotta talking about how we, no business can survive if we're spending 60 to 70 you per- are an sixty now. If we're spending 60 to 70% on payroll, no business can survive. You know what? How about not do that? Like, you're the one who hands all these contracts out to these you, old dudes. You, you are. can't turn around. Like, that's fine. Conta wants all these old men to win the title. That's fine. You can do that, but you can't then turn around and complain. Oh no, the financial model is broken. We're going to go bankrupt. These are your decisions. Own up to it.
1: Also, there's a massive difference with Inter, like padding out their squad with veterans for what in basketball you call the vet minimum. You know, at least they may be highly paid, but they're on short contracts. There's a big difference between that and you know backing up the Brinks truck for Ronaldo, and then for Aaron Ramsey, Rabiot, all the ones that for you know, the last three, four, five years, they've been lauded for like signing players on freeze. Players on freeze are expensive and wages are a continuous expense. They're they're, they're not a a one-off expense, which which is a massive, massive deal.
2: But the thing to remember, wages are a continuous expense, but if it's on a younger player, at least you're spending that that expense on an asset that you can cash in on at some point yeah that's, the that's true the thing with the old dudes you don't get anything from them apart from success on the field which is very good for Inter now the thing about Juventus as well like you just mentioned I, I did take some time and read as you can tell Pirlo's coaching thesis Yeah. And, and reading it you can completely see this working if the front line is like Murata, Kulosevski and and uh, Chiesa yes, thank you good lord this, this I've gotten a... myself too excited now <laughs> basic facts are dropping out of my head uh, but you can completely see it working the sort of hard-running sort of dynamic you know and, and there's lots of interesting stuff about how in the modern game uh, a player isn't just his position but but more his role in the team and we have to have a more holistic view on things and I this do is going to be a sliding
1: I, doors moment I, do, th-
2: I do think Perlo yeah. has a lot of interesting ideas and you know what I think there are players there that can execute a lot of them I think the midfield needs to re- reshape I mean you Need a midfield who can pass the ball better than these guys. Yeah. You've had two coaches in a row who want them to keep more possession, and both saying, well, "I can't figure this out." Like for a Sarri and now and now Pirlo. So, uh, it, it's, but the frustrating thing with Juventus is that there is the sort of the beginnings of a much more exciting young team there. And as much as Cristiano Ronaldo has scored a bunch of goals for them this season, I do think he is an albatross for them, both sporting and financially. And I I realise if you're listening to this and you're a huge Cristiano Ronaldo fan, you'll point to the number of goals he scored this season and say, how can he be an albatross? But the thing is, football is more uh, than one individual scoring a lot of goals. I I do think as a team, I I really think they'd be better off without him. I really do.
0: The so show says Mr. Lars Micorba, <laughs> Annual income 20 pounds, annual expenditure 20 pounds and sixpence. Results <laughs> <laughs> misery. Uh, but one thing I'm interested in, and I do love the way that they do this in Serie A. I wish we did it. The idea that it's the heads to heads that counts when it comes to a, a decider, you know, a closed title race, rather than uh, points, um, you know, points against and points for. Because often enough, or sometimes, you see either a team being relegated or a team being promoted or winning the title, when another team has beaten them on both both occasions in a season. That ain't right.
1: I'm, I'm 100% on board with you. And there are a lot of traditionalists out there, well probably British and German traditionalists who say, well, you know, goal difference is indicative of what you've done over the season. Goal difference is indicative of who's better at beating the chumps, who's better at sticking more past the chumps. Mm-hmm. And I am not in favour of that at all. I mean, if if we're going back a number of years, it's, it's probably more open to abuse as, as well, really, isn't it? But I think with head-to-head... We, yes we understand it's over 38 games but also we want to know who the best teams are and we want these direct confrontations to be games that are played from the first whistle to the last whistle and I think that's what
0: it guarantees and last, you nodding to that as well
2: yeah no I really agree I think uh... If it comes down to it, if, if Napoli and Juventus end up on the same number of points, I think the tiebreaker it makes more sense that the tiebreaker is the game between them rather than who scored the most goals against Cretone you know it, it, yeah. it, it is much more logical from a sporting side of things I think. Pasha
0: The amazing thing on today's on the continent is that we've linked Spain with Italy uh, via maybe Zinedine Zidane linking Real Madrid with Juventus but now we're about to link Italy with Portugal
1: I, I, I used Cristiano Ronaldo's mum to leave a trail of breadcrumbs <laughs> yeah, I know, into I also part three
2: <laughs> me going slightly off the rails about the rich- richest clubs in the world not making ends meet I think is a good link between Spain and Italy as well <laughs> <laughs> Florentino you're very much included in that in that rant yeah, we have a- spend less than you earn honestly try it it's great we didn't forget you son but Sporting
0: are the Portuguese champions for the first time in 15 years. 19. Uh, 19. Oh, forgive me. First time in 19 years. And uh, you wonder, well, where have they been all this time? They, they seem to have done it quite well conclusively this season. Uh, yeah. Why why were they not contenders for
1: 19 seasons? It's They've only been close a couple of times in that time as well. Um, now... First off, you have to say that Porto and Benfica are the... In the modern era, they are the financial powerhouses of of Portuguese football. Obviously, it's all relative because TV money compared to, say, the Premier League or even um, the, the Bundesliga or La Liga is, is, is chicken feed over there, uh, which is uh, a problem. So clearly... Um, transferring players is a far bigger part of it there and that's why whenever we get into and we'll be getting into it this summer all over the football ramble network i suspect about various transfers there are always portuguese players in there because it is a fact of life in 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 portuguese football um now really benfica are an interesting subplot in this and we'll, we'll get onto how brilliant sporting have been but I think Sporting, um, Benfica are interesting. They're rivals from just down the Segunda Circular because at the start of this season, what, what makes Sporting's um, win so spectacular is because at the start of this season, Porto are the champions, very well coached by Sergio Ben Benfica, who've just got back George Jesus for a second spell, are not just the favourites, they're the ultra favourites. We are living in pandemic times. They spent just on fees over 80 million euros on players last summer, which for Portugal is a fortune. When you put it into the current situation is even more. When you bear in mind that they signed frees like Jan Vertonghen is even more. And really what shook them is going back to the start of the season. Their first competitive game under Jorge Jesus is a Champions League qualifier, which is reduced to one leg away at Pauk, they lose, and all of a sudden, shit, we've spent a fortune, and this is not going the way we want George Jesus gave these speeches on how, you know, what I really want to do in my second spell at Benfica is get somewhere in the Champions League. 90 minutes later, that's all over. Mm. And then they have to sell Ruben Dias off the back of that, so really it's affected the Premier League as well in a big, big way. Now, still sporting of who have been both Sporting and Porto until Sergio Contesau's worked his miracles, those two have been superseded by Benfica, Um, the other two of the Tres Grandes, the three biggies, because Benfica have become better in the last decade at uh, selling players than Porto, which was always their thing. They were always thought of as Porto as the kings of the transfer market. They've not been very good at it in recent years, and that's what's got them in FFP trouble then benfica simultaneously have become pretty much as good as sporting as producing players look at the players that have come out of that academy joao felix um bernardo silva the aforementioned ruben dias so many players so for sporting who if we wind back 3 years um when Georges jesus is leaving there um some very angry ultra, ultras are a, attacking their training ground in this lovely little fishing village outside um, um, Lisbon of Alcochet. and um, the place is smashed up the players are attacked uh Bazdust gets a big cut on his head and you know it's absolutely horrendous ends up being a a, a big court case but um, well, why th- uh, because they didn't qualify for the Champions League on the last day of the season and the fans, who a lot of people felt were whipped up by the then president Bruno de Carvalho, um, react or a minority of the fans react. On the back of this, a load of players, including Rui Patricio, um, William Carvalho, unilaterally cancel their contracts and go off, which leaves a financial black hole, which the next um, regime by Federico Verandes, the current um, president, have to step in and try and extricate some money out of that. Um, There's the court case going on. There's the fact that Bruno de Cavalio, the president is removed, is voted out by the board and voted out by the members. And he's trying to get back in and saying, I I, I didn't do anything wrong here. So that's hanging over Fernandes. They've got huge debts anyway. So for sporting to get it together on the pitch, the turning point, bizarrely, is them spending money they don't really have. Because last March, they go, March 2020, they go out and they um, recruit, as their head coach, former Benfica player Ruben Amorim. He's a young coach. He's only 36 years old now. He has coached precisely 13 top flight games for Braga, in which he's Beaten the biggies and won them a League Cup. But nevertheless, 13 top flight games for Braga. They pay 10 million euros for him that they don't really have, saying, this is the guy who's going to build the future. And you know what? He has. It's amazing. With a weaker squad on paper than either Benfica or Porto have, with far less experience. And I mean, he's a firebrand on the touchline. And the interesting thing about Amorim is much like, say to a lesser extent, I suppose Nuno at Wolves, because he's a player who spent a lot of his career on the periphery of first team at his various clubs, and in his case, injured as well. It's kind of like he was a coach before he was a coach. So he's an observer throughout his playing career. So the lack of experience in terms of numbers, it doesn't really tell the full story, but he's rested hard on on young players, um, as sporting always do. They're, a, they're a big academy club. And, you know, you go back to Cristiano, Simao, Luis Figo to, 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 to know that. And they, they don't have the history of Benfica. So they've had to do that. And then you look at some of the players they've brought in, uh, Pedro Gonçalves in midfield has been an absolute revelation, scored 18 goals from midfield. Um, But you look at the young players who've who've been important, Nuna Mendes, for example, Um, Thiago Tomas, who's who's, who's contributed, Um, veterans like um, Sebastian Coates, who've who've stood up. They're unbeaten this season, unbeaten. So for them to win the league is a logical conclusion, is a reasonable conclusion. They've done brilliantly. And in amongst all the... um, Fuss when they beat Bovista to get over the line on Tuesday night. Something that's kind of slipped under the radar with those thousands of people being outside the Alvalade being cleared by the police is they look back in Portugal yesterday on the day, very recent day, what, 14 months ago that Ruben Amorim signed. You know, they did a little photo op in the um, sporting museum and you have to sign the guest book at the end and um, <laughs> he wrote in the guest book, save some space for us. Meaning in the trophy cabinet.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: and, and, and 14 months later, he's won a League Cup and the Championship Trophy for the first time in 19 years. It's amazing.
0: It Look, great for the domestic uh, competition. Absolutely fantastic. I'm not taking anything away from them, Lars. But next season, when they go in the Champions League, clearly the finances will tell. It'll be more apparent, won't it, that they're in a different league as such?
2: Yeah, yes. But you also think because this is such an odd summer in Europe they might have a better chance at keeping this team together for a summer than would otherwise be the case. Because I think in a normal European football year, no pandemic, everyone has the same amount of money they usually have. Like Pedro Gonçalves doesn't stay in Portugal after scoring no after scoring eighteen goals from midfield. Like that that doesn't happen. Whereas this season he might, and they might look at it and say, "Well, we'll get some Champions League money next year, uh, so uh, so you might keep the people together and even strengthen a little bit." So that's uh, I mean I'm obviously heartbroken that things haven't quite worked out for Adel Taarabt at, at Benfica uh, 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 and yeah Adel Taarabt and Jan in the sort of Tottenham retirement home uh, is uh, <laughs> uh, that that hasn't fully worked out, and hopefully they'll be back. But but it is. Fine. Fascinating. Obviously, the, the the positive side of it, the, the Amorim taking the plunge and paying ten million euros for a guy who's been a coach for about five minutes is quite extraordinary.
0: It's fairy taleish, isn't and, it?
2: And actually, it coming off is quite extraordinary as well.
0: The fairy tale would be if Cristiano Ronaldo's mom has her way and they have him play next season. That would make a difference. Playing well, imagine that. If
1: it was next season, I would be stunned. If it was the season after, if Amorim's still there. I think Amonim's about nine days older than him. It's, it's, quite, it's quite an interesting mix.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, but, 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 yeah, but it's worth dwelling a minute on on as well. And it's not me just being negative today. Being very negative today. Uh, but, but I think it is worth dwelling a moment on the utter catastrophe of Benfica's season because you did touch on it. But them spending all that money getting George Husses back to the country. George Husses, who, by the way, has blotted his copybook a little bit this season. More than a bit. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, the fact that they they're 12 points behind at this stage is an embarrassment. And
1: they're not even going to be automatic qualifiers for the Champions League. I mean, Porto are almost certainly going to get that second place because Portugal's got an extra Champions League place this year. Good good for them. But it means that Benfica are going to have to go back to where it started for George Chester, <laughs> to the Champions League qualifiers all over again.
2: What, what do you think the odds are that they somehow drop Houck? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't checked the Greek league where how doing. are doing they... <laughs> I, I missed the joke there well that, that's that's who
1: did them the first time and that's what ah, ruined, yeah. ruined <laughs> this season for George Jesus but you, you're right Lars like the Benfica have been reduced in recent weeks for cheering whoever's playing Braga <laughs> so <laughs> they can make that third place
0: goodness gracious that's low mm. how low can you go it is time, gentlemen, for each of you to offer us a game of the week. And last week, end Andy, you did you did point to you know what would be a decider in the in La Liga, uh, didn't you? was that that was your. Uh, I think game I, I, I Dortmund Leipzig actually. Oh, oh, sorry, I've, apologies. I've, I've had okay.
1: f- I've had five. That was goalers, a tremendous
2: shout. That was a good game. Five
1: yeah. goalers, three weeks in a row. It's, it's been a, it's been amazing. I, I'm not sure I fancy my chances again. This time I'm going to go for something that is, in keeping with the show, it's about um, teams being motivated by vindictiveness Uh, rather than necessity. Motivated by being lush. Yeah, 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 I think so. (laughs) I'm going to go for uh, five o'clock Saturday, Juventus versus Inter, because um, (laughs) Derby d'Italia and, of course, Inter are on their title party. And they defended like that, like that this week in you know when they when they won three uh, one against Roma against San Siro in the midweek and a very out of form Roma created quite a few chances. Inter are going to be so up for this to try and deny Juventus top four because not only is it in the name of vindictiveness, but gives them a, a, a bit more um, leeway in the Champions League next season. I think, which is the only itch really that Conte needs to scratch. Should he stay? Because of course there are pay cuts there.
0: Okay, he's gone for vindictiveness. What What are you going for, Laj?
2: Well, listen, realistically, that is the game of the weekend. I'm not going to try to compete with it. If you watch one game from European football this weekend, that is the one you're watching. But I will mention this just because I think this is a first. I think this is an episode of On the Continent where I've been in, where no one has said the word, uh, word Aling on yet. Um <laughs> Indeed. which which is a problem and it cannot stand we can't have this so on Sunday Bring him on. Sunday the 16th of may the day before Norway day Norway day is the 16th the 17th of may sorry Taka. Yeah, yeah um uh, Dortmund go away to Mainz and they're still they are they are finally back in the driver's seat Dortmund in the battle for Champions League places uh, which would be a huge huge thing for them if they could manage to rescue it and look like they might but they're going away to a Mainz team who are on a pretty spectacular run. Under their very clever uh, Swedish manager uh, Bo Svensson, and um, I'm trying, I'm forgetting the exact number, but they've lost like once since January, and this is a team who looked like they were heading down, and and they've they've turned around, and this is sort of you know your European place form they've shown in the second half of the season, so Mainz... Not a, not a great team on paper, but on an unbelievable run in the second half of the season. So going there is not necessarily easy for Dortmund, and it's going to be a very interesting game. Between one of again, the revival of Mainz in the second half of the season, one of the sort of low key, and I emphasize low key, but low key, most interesting stories of the season. I mean, it is fascinating. And Dortmund going there, uh, trying to secure a Champions League place or you know, taking a big step towards it. uh, That should be a good game.
0: They could be cup winners by then as well. Thursday night against Leipzig. Well, as 10cc would say, the things we do for Orland. This
2: was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Created Network.